0: chapter 1, we're going to be finishing chapter 1, verses 24 through 29 this morning, so if you turn there, we'd love for you uh, to find that in your copy of God's Word. If you didn't bring one with you and don't like using the app on your phone, you can just grab the Bible that's in that rack right in front of you and turn to page 983. That is where you will find Colossians 1. We really want you to see God's word for yourself today. Uh, And we say this at the beginning of every message, but if you're a guest with us, we want you to know that we believe that this Bible that we are opening is the inerrant inspired word of God himself. We believe that God has revealed himself to us through his word so we can know him and love him And worship him. These words are authoritative because they were ultimately written by the one who possesses ultimate authority. And we believe so much in the supremacy and sufficiency of God's word that what I'm going to say today doesn't matter. It doesn't matter unless it agrees with what the Bible says. We want to collectively be a church that says it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says we want you to see God's word for yourself today. Uh, I could get this wrong, but God's word always gets it right. And, and we're going through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And, and, and our purpose for doing this is, is that we would see the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything. And that's what we want to see as we go through this letter, the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything, because we believe our only hope in the struggle that is this earthly life is having more of Christ. In in order to fulfill our purpose in this world, we we don't need more money. We don't need more vacations or more prominence or more time. We need more of Jesus. That's what we need. We need to be so filled with him that there wouldn't be room for anything else. And and along that theme, we've seen a lot of all-inclusive language in this chapter when it comes to the person and position of Jesus. We've seen that all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. He holds all things together. In everything, he must have the preeminence. And, and we are going to see more all-inclusive language today when it comes to how we follow him and, 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 our, and our service to him because God is not interested in part-time Christians. And hopefully I'm not breaking news to you with this, but God's not interested in part-time Christianity. He's not interested in us honoring him with our words on Sundays if our hearts are far from him Monday through Saturday. Jesus is not interested in being pushed to the margins of our lives. He wants to be at the very center of all of our lives. Uh, Last week's passage uh, brought us back to the foundational truths of the gospel that we never want to move on from. Pastor John who walked us through how we were once alienated from Christ. We had gone our own way and deserved to be separated from God forever, but we have been reconciled, and we never want to get over it, right, church? We've been reconciled. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We are going to be presented blameless before Christ, not because we are righteous in and of ourselves, but because Christ is our righteousness and we never move on from the reality of and our reliance on grace we never move on from grace to something else we don't move on from the gospel of Jesus Christ we move deeper and deeper into it and at the end of our passage last week verse 23 Paul says that he became a minister or, or just literally servant of the gospel which serves as the lead-in to the rest of this chapter, where we will see Paul's perspective on his life and ministry. And, and there are four questions that I believe help us move through this passage as we see Paul's passion for the gospel and seeing people connected to Jesus, and so we're going to let those four questions serve as our outline today. The outline is uh, in your in your bulletin if you grabbed one of those. and And so, if you want a six verse explanation of the beliefs, skills, and values that drove Paul as the greatest missionary and church planter ever, then you're in luck today because that's exactly how I see the six verses that we are going to go through. Uh, we're going to read about about the beliefs, skills, and values that drove Paul. This was his passion for ministry, and there's so much for us to learn and apply to our lives as well. So we're going to read through this whole passage, and then we're going to question our way through it together. Colossians chapter 1, 24 through 29 says this. Now I, this is Paul speaking, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about in those verses. And, and the first line of the passage leads to the first question. Because right after, Paul says at the end of verse 23 that he's a servant of the gospel. It's almost like he, he acknowledges that, that from the outside looking in, it doesn't appear to be working out too well for Paul, because he's writing to them from prison, okay? So he's a servant of the gospel, and that's landed him in prison. And, and so he immediately says, after he says that he's a servant of the gospel, that he, now he is rejoicing in his sufferings. Why? That, that's my first question when I read this passage. W- w- why? Does Paul rejoice in his sufferings? Or maybe another way to ask this question is, is Paul really that spiritual? (laughs) Have you ever stopped and thought that when you're reading Paul's writing? Are you really that spiritual, Paul? Is he that spiritual? I mean, come on. These are the type of statements that make it sound like he's just on this other spiritual level that we'll never get to, right? Like, was, was Paul really this larger-than-life figure that is unaffected by trouble, like, th- that, that mere mortals would be, right? Is Paul really sitting in prison with this huge smile on, on his face? Like, this is amazing! Woo! You know, if I'm lucky, I'll get beaten by rods today. Is that, is that what's going on? Meanwhile we know ourselves right we 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 act like our lives are hard when we can't connect our phones to wi-fi you know we, we we don't we don't even have to pump our old our own gas when it's cold we we complain when the attendant takes too long to get back to our car right those are the first world problems that we're dealing with here in new jersey we right and so so the question is is paul the most unrelatable person ever, not complaining about the whole someone else pumping gas, by the way. It's about to get cold. It's going to be nice, okay? But first world problems if you're complaining about how long it takes the attendant to get back to your car, right? So is Paul the most unrelatable person ever, or is there more going on here that leads to him saying that he rejoices in his suffering? And and I think the answer is is that this is less of the, of a hyper spiritual oh it hurts so good statement and more of an explanation of Paul's values because Paul didn't find joy in suffering as an end to itself that would be weird okay but he was able to rejoice in his suffering because he understood it as a means to a greater end his his suffering was for the sake of the church. It was for the sake of the gospel. And so even though it wasn't the means he might have preferred, he knew the ends were worth it. So he rejoiced. Just like Jesus didn't enjoy suffering on the cross, he prayed in the garden, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But for the joy that was set before him, the ends, he endured the cross, despising the shameless, seated in his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Uh, so J.D. Greer said this, and I think it's helpful. He said, Joyful sacrifice is when you give up something you love for something you love more. Joyful sacrifice is when you give up something you love for something you love more. Parents, you give up a lot for your kids, don't you? Maybe more than you were bargaining for when you decided to become a parent. You give up a lot for your kids because you value them more than what you are giving up. And Paul so valued Jesus and his service to him that he was able to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. I guarantee you that Paul enjoyed certain comforts in life. I, I guarantee you that Paul loved being free more than being under house arrest. But he loved the building of the universal church and the proclamation of the gospel even more. You see, I, I think the suffering that is hardest for us to accept is suffering that seems pointless. Right? That's, that's what we really that's what we really struggle with. Or even worse, suffering that we bring on ourselves because of our own stupidity. Right? That's really hard suffering to get over. Or, or we get frustrated because we tend to make decisions in life with the intention of avoiding suffering. But then it finds us anyway. And we're like, what gives? Like, Why is this happening? What ha- why is this happening to me? And so I'm not saying that we should pursue suffering. Uh, I, that would be weird. I'm not saying that we should put ourselves in harm's way just for the sake of being in harm's way. No. Suffering is not an end to itself. But I am praying that we would so value Jesus and run hard after him. That if suffering comes our way in the pursuit of Jesus and the obedience to his calling on our lives, that we would be able to rejoice because we know the end's are worth it. But in in continuing to talk about his suffering, uh, Paul goes on to make an even more confusing claim in the rest of the verse. Look at verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, and if that's not confusing enough, listen to this, for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, to which you should be saying, and, and what exactly is that, Paul? What, what are you trying to say here? What, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? And, and just to be clear, in one sense, absolutely Nothing. Okay, absolutely nothing. If, if you listen to half of a message at First Baptist Church, you should know that we believe in the sufficiency of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So hear me, Jesus's suffering is enough. His wounds are are enough. His blood is enough. No more sacrifices have to be made. No more payments have to be paid. Our debt has been canceled. Our sins have been covered. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. The work is done, and to add our works to the work of Christ would dilute them, not improve them. To add our works to the work of Christ would dilute them, not improve them. If If Paul tried to argue otherwise, he would be a heretic based on his own teaching. Because if you read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament, it is obvious that he believed in the complete sufficiency of Christ's work of redemption what he once thought gain he now counts as loss for the sake of the gospel and knowing christ in fact so much of this letter to the colossians is written to keep them from adding anything else to the gospel we're going to see that especially at the end of chapter two so that brings me back to this question what does paul mean when he says that he is filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions for the sake of Jesus' body the church Uh, And and this is probably the most difficult statement in the entire letter to interpret, but, but here's my suggestion, and it's suggested by multiple Bible teachers and commentators as well. The only thing lacking regarding the work of Christ and his afflictions is the world's knowledge of it. The only thing lacking as it pertains to the work of Christ And his afflictions is the world's knowledge of it. Uh, Martin Luther famously said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. The work of redemption is done, but the work of delivering the message of redemption to all nations is ongoing. The good news that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins is is only good news if you hear about it and if you believe it. And so if Paul had to suffer in order to bridge the gap between the sufficient work of Christ on the cross and the world's knowledge of it, then so be it. Uh, we saw a similar language from Paul when we studied 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 4, 11, and 12. I have these on the screen. Look at this. He, says, he said to the church at Corinth, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The the pain is worth it because the gospel is being proclaimed. If I have to suffer so others will know of the sufficient suffering of Christ on the cross, then I will even rejoice in that suffering. (laughs) And if anyone ever observed Paul's situation and all the trouble he constantly found himself in, and they ever said, Hey, Paul, uh, have you ever thought about keeping your beliefs to yourself? Like... Have you ever thought about just not saying what you're not supposed to say? Like, if, if anyone ever tried to say to Paul, hey, you know, Paul, there's two topics that you don't talk about at holiday dinners. Politics and religion, right? How many of you have heard that? Two topics. You're not allowed to talk about it. If anyone ever tried to say that to Paul, do you want to know what his response would be? It'd probably be hilarious. You know, like, what are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? Right? That wouldn't fly with Paul. Right, Why? Why wouldn't Paul buy into that, that way of thinking? Verse 25, I think, makes it clear why Paul doesn't see silence as an option. He says, "Of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known." And by the way, the word that is translated "minister." here, I became a minister, uh, is, 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 that, is the Greek word diakonos, uh, which is where we get our word deacon from. And, and the literal translation of that word is just servant. Okay, so he's saying that he, that he became a servant of the church, and a servant of, of Christ. That's what he's saying here. Uh, so, so yes, Paul had apostolic authority. Yes, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write down God's words but his positive perspective on the suffering he experiences, at least partly due to his humble understanding of the nature of his position. I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of his church. And if you want to be used by God and be an unbelievable blessing to people, ask him to give you a heart of humility that just says, how can I serve How can I I serve rather than having a heart that says, how can I be served? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? How can I serve? Paul, that's the nature of his position. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of the church. And and the rest of this verse that sort of flows from that and, and Paul's perspective as a servant has been quite convicting to me this week. Uh, because this verse, and I'll, and I'll leave it here on the, on the screen uh, so, so you can see it and, and think about it as we talk about this. this. This verse forces me to ask this question. How would our lives be different if we believed that we were given the gospel to give to someone else? And if we don't, we are stealing. How would our lives be different if we really believed that we were given the gospel to give to someone else. And if we don't, we are stealing. And before you accuse me of being tra- dramatic, think, think about this. Just a silly illustration. Uh, people brought in candy to the office this week to be given to Allie, to be given to the kids at Trunk or Treat. And if I kept that candy for myself when people brought it to me, that's stealing, right? We would all agree. Because it wasn't given to me for me. It was given to me. For someone else. I promise I gave it all away. Paul, <laughs> I'm going to take my kids' candy, but the ones that you donated. Yeah. <laughs> Paul says, he became a servant according to the stewardship from God to make the word of God fully known that was given to me for you. It was given to me for you. What if we really believe that, church? Church? Like, what if we really believe that about the good news of Jesus? Just believing that one phrase, I think, would just change our entire perspective on the purpose of our lives. That we have been given the best news in the world to share with someone else. And silence is not an option. Good news is meant to be shared. Light is intended to shine. You don't put it under a basket. And so if you'll forgive a 30-second commercial... Uh, This is why we are starting Disciples Making Disciples next Sunday evening. Many of you came to our preview for that last, last Sunday. And the reason we're doing this is because we don't believe that the knowledge of the gospel should stop with us. The good news of Jesus comes to us to go to someone else. Don't let it stop with you. We are called to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Making the word of God fully known as a small part of the global mission to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation because of verses 26 and 27. So he says he's making the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you were to ask the question from these verses, what is the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, Paul doesn't leave us hanging with that question for long. He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Yes, even you, Gentiles, the hope of glory. And, and let me see if I can put into perspective how amazing this reality is. Uh, because in the Old Testament, uh, we learned that God's earthly presence among his people, the Israelites, was found in this place called the Holy of Holies in the temple. But as Pastor John talked about last week, there, there was this curtain Right, this, this keep out sign that separated God's presence from what was known as the holy place. Where only the priests were allowed to go. But that was separated from the inner court where regular sacrifices were made. But that was separated from the court of women. Which was as far as women were usually allowed to go. And that was separated from the court of the Gentiles. Which, as the name suggests, is as far as you could go if you weren't Jewish. So to have this picture from the inside out, you have the Holy of Holies. That's where God is. That's where the earthly manifestation of his presence was was seen. Holy of Holies. And then you have the holy place. And then you have the inner court. And then you have the court of women. And then you have the court of the Gentiles. So in the setup of the Jewish temple, the message is so clear No one is allowed to approach a holy God. And Gentiles, which most of us are, you're not even allowed to get close, right? Don't even think about it. You have to stay away. That's the price of our sin. We are separated from a holy God of the universe. And that message was made so clear for hundreds and hundreds of years in Jerusalem. And the mystery that was hidden for those ages and for those generations was that the work of Christ, God himself on the cross, would be so complete and so sufficient and so transforming that the one true holy and righteous God who we could never approach, we could never even think about approaching because of our brokenness and sin, especially as Gentiles, he would not just be among us. No, 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 no. He is in us. He is in us. And maybe we just need to stop and, and rejoice or cry or whatever you want to do over these words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hmm. Have you received that truth into your life? Has that changed your identity? Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I've messed up so many times. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But but you don't know about my past, Pastor Tim. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I have so little to offer him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope both now and forever is not far away. It is not a carrot dangling on a string in front of us that, we is, all, that is always out of reach. It's, it's not just for the elite or the select few or the rule followers. No, brothers and sisters in Christ, hope is in you. And if you are far from God this morning, I want to share with you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul dedicated his life to sharing no matter the cost, because the truth is that we were all Once very far from God, without hope, because of our sin and our rebellion against the one we were created to worship. And maybe that's where you still find yourself today. You know you're far from him, and you're even uncomfortable being in this room, maybe you're just watching online with us right now, and you don't think God could ever love someone like you. You don't think he could ever forgive someone like you. And I want you to know that because of God's great Love for us. Jesus, God God himself, left his throne in heaven to enter into the brokenness of the world that he had made. And Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I failed to live. And then he died the death that you and I deserve to die. He was the all-sufficient sacrifice, paying the just penalty for our sin in on the cross it is finished it is done he rose from the dead he conquered sin and the grave so no matter the guilt that you bring with you today if you place your faith in the perfect life sacrificial death and victorious resurrection of king jesus instead of relying on your own resume all of your sins are forgiven The righteousness of Christ is credited to your account. You become part of the eternal family of God, and the assurance of that hope is in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Now and ever we confess, Christ is our hope in life and death, and he is in us, and we are in Christ. And Paul dedicated his life to making This mystery known. Here's his conclusion in verses 28 and 29. Him, that's Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Christ is in us and we are in him. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me did you hear the all-inclusive language there this this whole section verses 24 through 29 is one sentence in the original language by the way one sentence is what we've covered this morning and it is all based on the theme of Paul's suffering as a servant of Christ and his church and so Paul ends this lengthy sentence by coming back to where it began and we find the answer to this question why does Paul toil and struggle? <laughs> Why do you do it, Paul? It, is it really worth it? Is, it? is it worth the persecution, the beatings, the arrest warrants, the imprisonments? Aren't you getting a little old for this, Paul? Right? Paul says he toils and struggles with all the energy Jesus supplies for the goal of getting the church safely to Christ. This is why in all of his letters he's so concerned with false teaching that was gaining an influence because he knew the danger of being pulled anywhere other than closer to Jesus. And so just get so just get this image in your head. Paul is sitting in prison, most likely under house arrest at this point, writing these letters, warning people who were free <laughs> that they are the ones in danger, which I think is hilarious. But don't worry about Paul. He's fine. You don't have to worry about the guy in prison. You are the ones that he is worried about. (laughs) Why? Because true safety is measured in our proximity to Jesus. True safety is measured by our proximity to Jesus. Anywhere other than where he is isn't safe. Anywhere other than on the solid rock that is Christ is safe shifting sand that is going to be washed away Paul was not interested in people praying a prayer and then going off and blending in with the world and pursuing their own happiness or starting with Christ and then adding a bunch of other worldly philosophies as well or adding Christ to the cherry on top to what they had created with their lives themselves no he had one goal All the struggles, all the setbacks, all the exhausting days were a means to the ends of presenting everyone mature in Christ. He wanted them to know Jesus and then know him more and more. So he proclaimed Christ. Jesus was at the center of everything because one day Paul knew that they would all stand before Jesus. And as Pastor John said last week, the firmness of our faith. Is measured by our distance to the deliver deliverer. So if you ever wonder, why do we proclaim Jesus here? Why do we preach the gospel every single Sunday? Pastor Tim, we've heard you preach the gospel over and over. Why do you keep why do you keep doing it? Why do we prioritize and and, and 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 commit time to preparing to preach God's word every sunday why why do we warn and teach and toil and struggle and it is a struggle sometimes like well, why is this interaction happening right now? because all week long, the world is saying, "Come over here, come on, come over here, right come, come have a taste of this right this is better, this is more satisfying this is Easier. This is this is more enjoyable. Come on, come on, come on in, come enjoy this. And some of you have bought into the messages of the world more than you realize. Or maybe some of you are you're just right on the edge and you're about ready to give up following Jesus or to give up the charade of Christianity that you have been living out. Or, or maybe you've just been disappointed so many times and you thought it would be different than this. Or, or maybe other pursuits just quite frankly look more enjoyable to you right now. And so we have all sorts of circumstances and, and emotions and questions that are represented here this morning. And, and maybe this week or this month has, has you just been hanging on by a thread. Right? Or maybe you've been dealing with temptations or anxieties that no one else knows about and you're honestly not doing too well with them right now. And then we come together. And and what emerges from this gathering is an imperfect preview of the eternal kingdom of God. And I hope what you hear every week is my passionate plea, don't walk away from Jesus. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stay right here. In fact, there's even more to discover than you realize. The, The deep end of the pool of the knowledge of his love and mercy and grace, it has no bottom. You can go as deep as you want, dive as far as you can go. Whatever is threatening to draw you away, whatever grass looks so green and so inviting to you right now, whatever is tempting you, it's just a mirage. There are so many counterfeits that look really good and they promise more immediate gratification but Jesus is the only treasure. He's the only source of true satisfaction. He's so much better than anything that you are considered leaving him for. He's so much better. Don't look for hope anywhere else because our ultimate hope is being filled with Christ and found in Christ and nowhere else. That's our only hope. It's being filled with Christ, and it's being found in Christ and nowhere else. So I hope that you have decided to follow Jesus, and you won't turn back. I hope the plea of your heart is, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you. I don't want to walk away. I don't want to go anywhere else. Yes, I have questions. I don't understand what's going on right now. But this is where my hope is found. This is the only rock I have found in this life that keeps me secure. This is the only hope I have now and forever. It's being filled with Christ. And it's being found in Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Relying on him through our lives, looking forward to the day when we will be presented mature in him. Church, I want you to know he's so much better. He's so much better, and he's worth it. Whatever comes our way, he is worth it. So don't walk away from him. Pursue him. Lean in. Dive deeper. There's so much more. That was the whole purpose of Paul's life. That's why he gave up all his energy in pursuit of of being a, a blessing to the church and man, I hope you hear that in my voice this morning. Jesus is so much better than anything else you could pursue. Let's pray and talk to him. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And I'm sure in this room there's so much going on. There's so many disappointments, there's so much heartache, there's so many questions. And man, I'm sure in this last week, the world and what it offers has looked really good to somebody. And then they just think, if I just do this instead, it'd be so much easier. And I don't know if it's worth it, and I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Or maybe there's somebody young in a younger stage of life, and they're not sure what they believe yet, but they're hearing all these other messages from the world, and they're just so confused. And God, I just pray that you would open our eyes once again to see you see Jesus and to see his supreme worth and value, that we would, that we would so trust you and so value you that we wouldn't want to pursue anything else. I pray that you would give us the faith to believe that you are better than anything else that might threaten to draw us away from you. Because you're the only place where hope is found. You're the only place where satisfaction is found. And I just pray that we would trust and believe that I pray if there's someone that's walked away, that today you would bring them back. I pray if there's someone that's never placed their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day that they find true joy and true satisfaction and true hope in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, we need you. We need you. And we're so thankful that you have provided everything that we need. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.